following sermon is a ministry of Hilton Head Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at hiltonheadpca.com. Well, today we are continuing in our study of the life of David. King David, the Old Testament king, the writer of many of the Psalms, the man who was described as a man after God's own heart. And last week we discussed how God was concerned about the heart, that what matters most is the heart. And so we need to consider our hearts. We need to think through uh, where we are in our relationship with the Lord about our heart to protect it and to, to shape it and to strengthen it in our lives. Today we're picking up in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, uh, a very familiar story. How many of you have heard at some level the story of David and Goliath? There you go. One of the most popular stories. You don't have to be churched uh, at all to have heard uh, of David and Goliath. And we're going to be unpacking that a little bit today. Uh, Looking at it not necessarily from a new perspective, a new direction, uh, but addressing it in the midst of how do we deal with fear? How do we deal with fear? Because that is what uh, the people of Israel uh, were dealing with. It said in verse 24 there, And the men of Israel, when they saw this man, they fled and were much afraid. Uh, They were facing fears in their lives. And all of us face fear. All of us face incredible challenging moments in our lives. And you don't necessarily have to be there uh, right now for this to be beneficial. You could be uh, in a season of where some really good things are happening uh, in your life. uh, But always preparing yourself for more difficult times. Many of you have asked, and I don't want to take ever personal privilege on this stage or behind there, but many of you have asked and continue to ask about my family, and it's been one heck of a week for the McCutcheon family. We had one son, Zach, who you prayed for, and he is over in South Africa uh, working and ministering over there. Our, our youngest son, Matthew, was signed to play soccer at Queen's University, and last night our oldest son got engaged. And so it's been one of those weeks. But the reason I, I say that to you is to go, see, look how easy it is. Because, I mean, life's just easy. Of course not. We're in the midst of a week of incredible high right now. But it's in the consistency of a life of a lot of ups and downs. A a life that's had its challenges. Parenting, as I've said over and over again, is not for the faint-hearted. It's not, you don't enter into it and go, this sounds like something fun to do today. Then you realize, wow, that's like the rest of my life. I'm a parent uh, in this thing. And so we wrestle in life. And so why, why I say that about my family is really twofold. Many of you have just asked, and I want to be able to say thank you for your prayers for my family uh, regularly as your pastor. But I also want you to see uh, that it may look good on a Facebook post, that look at this week, but it doesn't show you the reality of life. It doesn't tell you really what's happening in the course of it. And many of you are experiencing that in your life. You can post something on Instagram, you can post something on social media, but it doesn't really show the deep and internal battles that are going on. For all of us wrestle with fear, all of us have those battles raging, we have those, as you were, uh, metaphorical giants that are in our lives. And so we're going to discuss that today and hopefully bring to you some hope, some encouragement, and some tools to use 
So let's ask God's blessing on this time as we read his word and we consider these things. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your goodness to us. We ask now that you would bless us with your presence. Your spirit would go before us in the reading and hearing of your word. And Father, I pray that you would teach us how to deal with with the true battles that are out there, battles for our hearts and battles for your glory. Though we give you praise today in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, turn over with me to 1 Samuel 17. I'm not going to be reading uh, all of the verses in this passage, but I do want to highlight a few of them to you to give you a little bit of a setting uh, for the stage. There is a battle that is set and that all the people of God, the Israeli uh, army, has come under the leadership of Saul, uh, the king at that time. And we are going to pick up in verse 3. Uh, on this. It says, and the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And there came out from the camp of Philistine a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had a bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. And he stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves, and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that he may fight together, that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear had gripped the people of Israel. In verse 24, uh, it uh, reiterates that in all the men of Israel, when when they saw this man, they fled from him and were much afraid. Fear comes to us regularly in our lives. And it is a picture here in the scriptures of now what do we need to do uh, with this fear. You see, David had come on a journey from his father, Jesse. And David was sent. He was sort of back and forth. You remember last week he was anointed king privately. Uh, We don't think that Saul knew that he had been anointed king at this time. And so he was serving in the court of Saul, helping calm Saul down uh, with some music therapy and sort of bringing him down when he had gotten kind of fired up on some things. And then he would go home and still tend. So he was bivocational uh, in this way. He would go home and work for his father Jesse in the fields uh, and taking care of the sheep and then work for the king. There wasn't a uh, a castle, as it were, uh, for the king to live in. Saul just lived in his own town and in his own house. And so David shows up now at the battlefield. He's bringing with him food from his father because he has three older brothers who are fighting in Israel's army. And so David shows up, and as he walks on, In verse 24, he says, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled in fear. And we said that, and all the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who's come up? 
Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and the king will enrich the man who kills him, and great riches will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And David came, and everybody started to hear David asking these questions. He kept asking, what's going on? Why isn't anybody saying anything? Why are you guys cowering? There's this big dude in the middle of the field, and he's talking about our God. Why isn't anybody saying anything? And word finally got back to King Saul. And King Saul said, okay, who is this young guy? And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. And Saul was like, okay. I don't have anybody else who's going to do it. I'm surely not going uh, to do it. And so he tried to get David all uh, gussied up, as it were, in his own armor. And David said, no, I can't use your armor. And it says that he took his staff, verse 40. He took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them into a shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. What a great, I mean, just walked up and hated him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead, give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And the story goes on. And David pulls out a stone, slings it, hits him in the head, kills Goliath, and the battle ensues of all of Israel pursuing the Philistines and winning the day. So what do we learn in the midst of all of this? A few things. First, battles are unavoidable in our lives. Battles are unavoidable in life. Many of you are working incredibly hard to have a conflict-free life. You don't want conflict. You don't want battles. You're not a pacifist per se, but you just can't stand conflict. You can't stand there to be a battle. And the fact of the matter is that life is filled with battles. And that's true if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. If you're a church person or a non-church person, if you're a follower of Christ or not a follower of Christ, you're in the midst of a battle. And the reality is this. All of us are in a battle. All of us face different things that come into our lives. And the intrinsic difference between a follower of Jesus Christ and someone who is not a follower of Jesus Christ is not the battle but how we respond in the midst of the battle. Everybody is going to face life and death situations, cancer, non-cancer, bankruptcy, divorce, difficulty with children, great things for children, school, this, dates, non-dates, all of the different things. 
Both Christian and non-Christian face the same thing. The intrinsic difference is how the Christian appropriates his or her worldview, their understanding uh, of theology, and saying, now I'm going to respond to this same thing by my worldview. Now, the non-Christian is also, you, if you are here as a non-Christian, we're glad that you're here, and I want you to understand, you are facing all of those realities by your theology, by your worldview. I'm asking today that you consider how they stack up against one another. You see, battles are unavoidable. David wasn't going there to battle. David was going there to bring food to his brothers. He was just being obedient to his father. And he showed up, and all of a sudden he realized there's something massive taking place here. There is something beyond what circumstances dictate and what vision shows. There is something here that needs to be dealt with. There is this Philistine, this ungodly, pagan, Gentile guy out there who's standing up for 40 days, morning and night. So that means 80 times Goliath has stood in front of the people of God and he has defied them and defied their God. And you know how Israel responded? By doing nothing. They didn't want the battle. Here's a great way to think of it this way. If you're married, it doesn't matter, but I'll just talk about it from a married man's perspective. This would be equivalent if some person came and stood in my yard and defamed my wife's name. Your wife's a whore. Your wife is a slut. Your wife is ugly. Your wife is a terrible person. Your wife is this. Your wife is all of these things. And I let that person stand in my yard for 40 days talking morning and night and did nothing. Could you do that, husbands? Better than that. Could you do that, husbands? (laughs) Your wives are looking at you going, this would be a good time to become non-Presbyterian and speak in church. Find a tongue if you need to, but do it now. No, we would say something. Or parent, what if you went to recess for 40 days and the bully looked at your child and said, you're a punk, you're a scrawny kid, you're terrible, you're ugly, you're terrible, all of this stuff. Are you going to sit there and go, I just don't like conflict. No, there's a battle raging. And David recognized the battle. He recognized that this was a battle and that the purpose of this battle was not only to defeat Goliath and the Philistines, but the purpose of this battle was to glorify God before the eyes of a watching world. There are battles taking place constantly now, and there's the assault upon the integrity in the name of our God, and the church has remained incredibly silent. Like I said last week, more people know whether you're Republican or Democrat than they do if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's all we talk about. And that's all we get passionate about. David walked up and went, who is this guy talking about my God? And it was like, shh. His brothers were like, David, shut up. Quit talking again. And David looks at his brothers like the littlest kid in a big family. He goes, what have I done now? I mean, that's literally what it says. What have I done now? I'm just speaking truth because there's a battle. Remember that we have an enemy. And there is an enemy who is pursuing your heart. There's an enemy who's pursuing the hearts of your children, an enemy who is pursuing the hearts of your loved one, of your spouses. There is an enemy who is pitched against those who claim to be followers of the true king. And we're in the midst of this battle, folks, whether you like it or not. The only way not to be in the battle is to not to be alive. 
But while you have breath, honestly, there's no battle in heaven. But if you're alive, then you're in the midst of a battle. And so here's the best thing and the first thing you need to do. Accept that reality. And then go, okay, what do I need to do to get ready for this battle? First thing you need to know in the midst of this battle, which is going on, fear is going to be a part of it. Just get used to it. Any of you ever been afraid of anything? (laughs) It's just part of life. Now, there's different kinds of fears. Uh, If you were living in the mountains where we used to live, uh, on our wooded acreage, uh, and there were bears around. And our dog, which was a city dog, I would try to let Jake out at night, and uh, Jake would smell because you could smell bears. They stink, black bears especially. And so Jake would come out, and like, Jake, it's time to go out. Jake would come out, he'd sniff around, he'd go, I'm good. And he'd head back in the house, go, I can hold it. I'm like, dude, it's 10 hours. I'm good. There's bears in the wood. That's a healthy fear. A fear of bears, a fear of hanging out and swimming with sharks. Those are reasonably good fears. They're good. God gives us fear. So I'm not saying all fear is bad. But some fear is bad. There is a fear that comes that is a paralysis There is a fear that comes and undermines your life and leads you to this place of such anxiety that you can't move, that it immobilizes you. And what we need to do with fear is we need to embrace it and to admit, I'm afraid. It'd be interesting. I wish Saul had been an honest man. And I wish we had some of the writings from Saul to say, Saul, what did you see? And for Saul to be honest and go, I have a lack of faith. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. I don't measure up to this man. I don't understand what's going on. But we never hear what's going on with Saul. We just know what's going on with Saul intrinsically, that he was afraid and paralyzed. We know what David was thinking. You see, fear, there's a great line that I read in a book. It says, the silver lining in the dark cloud of fear is that fear pushes us to decide on our own view of reality. Fear pushes us to decide our view of reality. When you find yourself afraid, and I'm not talking about being afraid of bears and sharks and lions, but when you find yourself being afraid to engage the heart of somebody you love, when you find yourself afraid to engage in the, with the enemy who's spreading lies and talking to you in a certain way, when you're afraid to do that, it allows you opportunity, if you lean into it, to ask some really good questions. Fear allows you to answer this question, is there a God or not? It forces you to deal with that. Your fear brings that up. Is there a God or not? Is there a divine power? Is there a divine entity? Is there a God who is intimately concerned with my life's battles and the sordid affairs of this world? It forces you to look there. It forces you to answer the question, does God make a difference in my present danger? Does God make a difference or does he watch from some remote place just passively interested in what's going on? Fear allows you, if you're afraid, to go, okay, why am I afraid? What's causing my fear? Start taking an assessment of fear. Instead of just going, don't be afraid, I'm not going to be afraid. Why am I afraid? Begin to ask good questions of your heart. Begin to ask questions like this, God, what am I not believing about you that I should, and what am I believing about you that I shouldn't? Because there's probably something that I'm not believing about you that I should that's going to help me in the midst of this place, this fearful place, and there's probably some lie about you that I am believing that I shouldn't, so would you help me? Would you remind me? Would you help me understand these things? And so fear is a part of life, and it's a real part of life, and it's good at times for us. 
So here's some things we know about fear. As you consider fear, fear focuses on the wrong things. Fear focuses on appearances. The Philistines, oh, what a people group. The five cities of the Philistines coming down around the Aegean Sea. They were shipbuilders. They were those who had strong bronze and iron. They were the original inhabitants of the promised land filled with giants, the remnants of a group of people called the Nephilim. And they were big and they had skeered the shoes, the sandals, right off the feet of all of the people of Israel when they were supposed to go in. And they went in and 10 of the spies that went in, you remember the story, came back and went, there's giants in the land. And two of them, Caleb and Joshua, went, yeah, but we've got God. Like, yeah, but there's giants in the land. And the people listened to the ten and not to the two. And so this is the people group. They're huge, and they're massive, and they had swift military, and they had powerful weaponry. And look at how Goliath marched out nine-plus feet with over a 100-and-something pounds of armor on his body, a spear that looked like a telephone pole with this massive piece of metal on the end that was going to shift. And he's standing there rattling his sword and rattling his thing, and everybody's going, oh, look, he's diverting your attention to him. Because fear wants you to look at the wrong things. Fear wants you to listen to the rattling of the swords. And Goliath was a great champion for fear. And Israel recognized when they looked at him, they started looking around and going, we don't have anybody that tall. I mean, we got Saul, and he's a big man, but he's hiding back in his tent back there. And I look around, and oh my goodness, there's nobody here. And we look, and we don't have big swords, and we don't have big chariots, and our circumstances are little. And so they're diverted all their attention to the circumstances. Fear focuses on the wrong things. But consider David's focus for a moment. David shows up on the scene, and in all of these verses in chapter 17... He talks and describes Goliath twice. And it's the same description twice, verse 26 and verse 36. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That's all he says about him, twice. That's all David says about the enemy as he assesses his enemy. He goes, he's an uncircumcised Philistine. But then David, nine times in that same passage of Scripture, identifies some characteristic about God. The armies of the living God. The living God and his armies, verse 36. The Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. The Lord will deliver you into my hand. That all the earth will know that there is a God in Israel. The Lord does not save by sword or spear. The battle is the Lord's. He will give you into our hands. Interestingly enough, David sees the giant. Don't be naive to think that there wasn't a giant. David saw the giant. David just determined to focus on something beyond the giant. He said, yeah, you're a giant. Big deal. I've got the God of the armies of Israel, the Lord of hosts on my side, the sovereign God who anointed me to be king. And so I know that I'm going to be king. Therefore, that means I'm going to win today. So I'm not worried about you. I'm going to focus on what everybody else is unwilling to focus on. I'm going to see what everybody else isn't willing to see. I'm going to look at the greater picture and the greater story. And he got away from the rattling swords. Nine to two. When something difficult comes into your life, what's the ratio in your life? How often do you look at the opponent, the thing that's causing fear, and how often do you look at the Lord? Is it a nine to two ratio? Most likely not. 
We get caught up looking at whatever it is that's causing us fear. My job is too big. My marriage is too bad. Uh, my kids are too rotten. My parents are too rotten. Uh, it's too much for me to handle. I'm not going to get into the school that I want to go into. How am I going to pay for my kid to go to the school that they want to go to? How am I going to live in my latter years without my beautiful bride or without my husband? I'm a widow. I'm a widower. Uh, my family is experiencing difficulty. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This is going on. And we focus on that versus stepping back and going, okay, cancer, we got it. Brain tumor, got it. Alzheimer's, got it. Recognize it, it's there. Sovereign God of the universe who loves me, who has a plan, who will glorify himself, who will never leave me or forsake me, who will use all things for his glory in the midst of it, who strengthens me to do more and beyond which I could possibly do uh, on my own. This God who created all things, who called all things into being out of nothing. Oh, this God. So where's your focus? What's your ratio in your life? Because fear likes to get you to focus on the wrong things, right? And you need to recognize that. So, now we recognize there's a battle. Fear is a part of it. Fear has its own tactics. So, how do we deal with fear? Here's the remedy, and there's several little subpoints here for you. The remedy for fear is simply faith. Just believe. Have a good week. <laughs> right? Just believe. But that's hard. Okay, but faith that David had a profound faith, and we're going to unpack some of the components because it's not some simple platitude. David didn't walk out onto the field of battle with a T-shirt that said, let go and let God. He didn't come out with his slingshot and on the back of it go, God is my co-pilot. No. David had a profound faith that he put into action. He had something that had begun years ago in private preparation that now was having the opportunity to be put on public display. And he was stepping out in the middle of a fearsome situation. He knew what he was up against, but he knew who was on his side. And so first, remember this. Remember what's true about God. As you're dealing with faith, remember what's true about God. Remember what's true about his character. Remember what is most real. Goliath was real, but God was most real. Goliath was going to have a start date and an end date. He had an expiration date on his carton. God does not. And one had a sword and one had the armies of heaven on his side. My mom tried to remind me of this as a little kid going, Billy, remember that you plus God is always a majority. What she was trying to say was you never go in as a minority in any situation. You always, if you claim the name of God, he is there. And if he would open up the eyes of the heart to see, it would be like Elijah's uh, servant who looked out and saw all the armies and the hosts of heaven. And he went, okay, I'm confident now. Believe what is true. David mentions God before anyone else does. Saul and the armies of Israel had seemingly forgotten all about Yahweh. But David didn't. David knows that God is in control of all things, even when he doesn't understand that control. Even when he doesn't understand the part of the story that he's living out, he still recognizes and trusts the story giver and writer. He understands that God is powerful, that God is his deliver, deliverer. David knows God intimately. David knows God intimately. And so in the moment of greatest crisis, when there was the biggest fear uh, that he was facing, he could step out and go, I know my God. 
And I know today, he is passionate more for his name than even for me. And he is not going to allow this uncircumcised giant of the Philistines to disparage the name of the holy, righteous God of the universe for one more day. I might die today, but this guy's going down too, and my God is going to win. David knew him so intimately. Do you know him that intimately? Have you studied him? Have you spent time with him? Have you drawn near to him? Instead of the laundry list of God, here's what I need you to do for me. Asking a different and more profound prayer. God, would you show me you more today? God, I want to know more about you. Because if I know more about you, if I understand more about you, then whatever circumstance comes my way, I'll be able to handle it because I know you more in the middle of this. So the first part of the remedy of faith is to remember what is true. And then in that kind of comes along uh, with it, we then rely on that truth. We, we take that knowledge of knowing what is true. And by the way, the vast majority of Christians in churches or church-going people in churches, they can't tell you the 66 books of the Bible. They can't tell you how many books are in the Bible. They can't tell you the names of the disciples. They can't tell you the town in which Jesus was born. They can't tell you the very simple facts And folks, if we don't know the simple facts and the basics, how in the world are we ever going to understand the more complex things that are taught within scriptures? Paul says, start with milk, drink it, but then grow up towards the more uh, amazing, truthful, complex things of God's word. So we need to know it. Study God's word. Not just in the battle. Most of us have this ready when the battle comes, right? Oh, crud, Goliath. David knew this sitting quietly in a pasture with his God, reciting the Torah, knowing the words of God. Shema Israel Adonai Erhenu, Shema Israel Adonai Kavod. The Lord, the Lord our God is one. Our God is Israel's God. He is my God. He knew these things that in the ordinary times when it became all of a sudden extraordinary, he had a resource to pull from instead of us going, oh gosh, a verse, a verse, a verse, a verse, a verse. Mark the blameless and behold the upright for there is a future for the man of peace. Got it. Good. Got it. The Lord helps those who help themselves. It's not in there. But most of the church believes that it is. Most of the church believes that there's a verse that says that God will never give you more than you can handle. The reality is God always gives you more than you can handle so that you rely on him and his strength. We need to know it and believe it, knowing it's not enough, but believe it. Believe it in your life. David believed these things to be true. He stepped out going, I'm going to do this. I trust these things. And then he used it. He took it from a knowledge of knowing what is true, believing it, and then he used it. And he said, I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord. I know these things. And he strategically used. We could do a whole other study on Ephesians 6 and the weaponry of the, of the spiritual armor of God and apply it to David here. But we don't have time to do that. But David knew when to pull out the sword. And he said, you come to me with sticks and stones. I come to you in the name of the Lord of the God Almighty, the host of the heavens. <laughs> come to me with that. Let me tell you something about my God. And he knew when to use it. And interestingly enough, there is no defense for the enemy against that. They shudder against it. 
I wish I had time to tell you more, but interesting story. Rahab, who was one of the inhabitants of the land uh, when the people of God uh, were coming in, she lived in Jericho. She said to Joshua and all the conquerors of the promised land, she basically said this, you guys should have come in those many years ago. Because if you had come in those many years ago, you would have found a country and a people that were terrified of you. We had heard about your God, and we shook in our shoes and became as liquid. They know. The enemy knows. And the enemy will shake when you rightly use God's word. So faith, the remedy is faith. It's knowing and remembering the truth about God's word, relying uh, on God for who he is. And then, folks, We'll kind of end here. Get ready for the battle. Get ready for the battle. Prepare now when you aren't facing giants with a big G, but you're just facing life. Prepare now in the ordinary days, in the ordinary times of coming and looking at God's word and studying God's word and being immersed in God's word, of living faithfully day to day, of trusting in God in the small things. And then when the large thing comes, you have something to draw from. Look at what David did in his life. How did David learn uh, to throw this rock through the, with the sling? Do you remember how? He was practicing with big, giant cutouts in the field. He was like, all right, all right, Philistine. No. The ordinary way of life, he was faithful. He was defending the flock. He was doing it with integrity. He was trusting the Lord against the lion. He was trusting the Lord against the bear. He was trusting the Lord out in all of those situations. So when the real massive situation came up, he had a reservoir from which to draw. He had a repertoire from which to use. He understood what was doing, and he walked out, and he didn't try to take on the enemy on the enemy's terms. He took on the enemy on his terms. He knew who he was. And he said, this is how God has gifted me. Each of you is uniquely gifted, different from somebody else. People sometimes say to me, Bill, I wish I had your gifts. And I look at them and I go, I'm so thankful that you don't. Because I'm so thankful that you have your gifts. Let me work in my sphere. You work in your sphere. And then you don't have to worry about being me. I don't have to worry about being you. And when we come to the enemy, we can just work out of who God has designed us to be. And God designed David to go down and to pick up five stones out of the brook. You know why he picked up five stones? Have you ever wondered why he picked up five stones? I don't know either. (laughs) It doesn't say. It preaches, don't be like David. He didn't have faith. If he had faith, he would have picked up one stone. I've heard that preached. Somebody even said it a second ago. He picked it up for his four brothers. Where's that? It preaches. Well, you got to get the one, but you better be prepared for the fallout because sin has brothers and they're going to come back at you. So don't ever be found with an empty pouch. Well, I mean, that, that makes sense, but it's not biblical. Here's what David did. He was a shepherd boy who knew how to throw smooth stones in a sling and kill the enemy. So guess what he did? He picked up smooth stones, put them in his pouch. Maybe his clip only held five stones. I don't know. But he picked up five stones, and he threw the stone, and you know what he did? He entrusted the outcome to God. 
He said, God, I'm going to do what I feel like I'm called to do in the manner in which I believe that you've called me to do it. I'm doing it for the right reasons, not for my glory and honor, but for your glory and honor. And I'm going to throw this stone, and I'm trusting you that somehow this massive giant, David, probably five foot something, throwing up against a nine foot something giant, the trajectory of a giant with a helmet on, by the way. How in the world the helmet moves? Some people have said, oh, he laughed his head back. It doesn't say that. We don't know how. But David, by faith, threw the stone, and God, in all of his sovereign, powerful mercy, took it and sunk it into his forehead. What a coincidence, huh? No. Folks, God is in charge of battles, and he's in charge of little stones. And you can trust him in the middle of all of those things. There's so much more we could do, but I'll say I'll end here. Ready yourself for battle, but then the final thing? Step up and act. Fear does everything, and the preparation oftentimes, the tendency of fear is to do everything but act. We live in a day and age of passivity. We live in a day and age when people are passive. And men, as a man, I would say to you, most men are so passive that we need to stand up, fight for your wives, fight for your children, fight the fight for your families. Find a voice again in that and then step in. And if you want to step in with some other men and women as you step in and you want to step in, that's why we want to live in deep community because I know this much. It's sometimes terrifying because I don't know the outcome. And this week was a good week for my family. But those of you who know us know there were some nights when we had no idea the outcome. That's the beauty of deep community, of going, I don't know the outcome. I don't know what to do. I want to be passive. And I had friends, and we had friends who came around us and said, no, we're going to help you stand up. We're going to keep you in the battle. We're going to keep telling you the truth when you can't hear the truth, when you can't remember God's word, when his word has become dry. Folks, that's why we want to live in deep community. Don't you want something like that? Any of you guys have bad days and you really wonder whether you're going to make it to the next day? Anybody? Wouldn't it be great to have some other people who come around you and go, what a slouch, just have more faith. (laughs) No, to go, I know right where you are. And let me remind you of the truth. And they point you back to God. And they move you away from the circumstance to the God of the circumstance. Folks, we're going to come to this table now. And we're going to run a couple minutes over. So go ahead and prepare yourself for that. (laughs) Just being honest. You can sling stones later. They're called texts and emails. But this table, this table represents the true David who fought a battle that you can never fight on your own, and that is the battle against Satan, against death itself, and he won that battle on your behalf. And we, like the people of Israel, were hiding, but now we step out and we receive all the spoils of this battle that he gives to us. So I'm going to invite you now to prepare your hearts, and let's come to this table today. Let's pray. Father, we do come and we praise you for your goodness to us. Father, we ask that you would bless now this table and bless our hearts as we prepare uh, to come. I ask that you would move us to consider those things that we need to repent of, that maybe those things that we haven't believed about you that we should, 
the things that we believed about the enemy that we shouldn't. Forgive us of our passivity. Forgive us when we have allowed your name to be disparaged. Forgive us when we haven't fought when we should. So would you come now, our great healer, and minister to us. Friends, I invite you. There's going to be a prayer on the screen and in your bulletin. And if you'll pray this together with me as we approach. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. Have mercy on us, O God, and in your loving kindness, in your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin through Jesus Christ, our Lord.